On today's episode, is Bill Belichick's defense back? Or does Steve Sarkeesian simply lack the confidence to coach in the NFL? I'll debate whether or not Johnny Walker is the answer. Then are the Golden State Warriors good for basketball? Or is Steph Curry's mouth guard a danger to society? And then later, I will predict just how long it will take for the Red Sox to fire Alex Cora shortly after winning the World Series. I'm Brad Whitaker. This is the Sideline Dissident. So, uh, before the weekend, I put out a video titled, The Patriots' Defense is a Work in Progress, Not a Lost Cause, something like that. And basically, I argued Bill Belichick's defenses, and and this has largely been the case since Matt Patricia became defensive coordinator, uh, Patriots' defenses almost always get the season off to a poor start. Through the first few weeks, they give up a lot of big plays, then around mid-season, they begin to tighten up around the red zone a little bit, and then by the end of the year, they rarely give up more than 300 yards a game. And I said that I believe this season was just a more extreme example example of that. Uh, Through their first six games, the Patriots defense gave up a league-worst 441 yards per game, very uncharacteristic of a Belichick-led defense. But Sunday night against Atlanta was a completely different story. Now, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. I think Patriots fans might be patting the defense on the back a little too much because, let's be real, the Falcons shot themselves in the foot a few too many times being overly aggressive. And there's a difference between being aggressive and just being plain stupid. Aggressive is going going for it on 4th and 2 from the opponent's 40-yard line. Stupid is going for it on 4th and 6 from the 50-yard line with 2 minutes left in the half and Tom Brady getting the ball if you don't convert. Dan Quinn went for it twice on 4th and long and it backfired big time. That said, give the Patriots credit for not just stopping Atlanta on 3rd down, but on 4th down as well. And they did it without Stephon Gilmore, without Eric Rowe. Remember, their defensive backs have been the real problem. Problem. Even McCourty and Butler have been underwhelming at times this season. Uh, they also lost Dante Hightower and Malcolm Brown to injuries midway through the game, and the defense still didn't skip a beat. But Butler made a bunch of one-on-one plays against Julio Jones. Uh, Johnson Batamosi even stopped Julio a few times. Uh, that young pass rush keeps improving. Kyle Van Noy is really becoming a force to be reckoned with. So not only is the starting defensive unit improving, but we're beginning to see some real depth. And I noticed they ran a lot more zone on Sunday night than they have in previous games this season. Also, it's time to pay Malcolm Butler. He got robbed in the offseason, we all know that, and many question the Gilmore signing, but Butler, he's proven he can be a cornerstone of the defense, just as Ty Law was for many years in New England. Uh, but I'm not going to jump ahead of myself just yet and say the Patriots' defense is back, because the Falcons' offense is not the same under Steve Sarkeesian as it was under Kyle Shanahan, which isn't surprising for an offensive coordinator coordinator with a mediocre college track record. And also, Dan Quinn keeps making bizarre decisions in crucial game situations. But I do believe if this Pats defense continues in this direction by the end of the season, they can't they can be one of the better units in the NFL, which is really saying something when considering where they were just a week ago. Um, moving on to the NBA and the first truly exciting game of the regular season. Look, Competition is a good thing. 
That's one of the first things you learn taking an Economics 101 course. Competition is great for the consumer. It drives down prices, increases availability, and it increases quality because companies want to stand out when compared to the competition. And what's been the biggest complaint about the National Basketball Association over the last three seasons? a lack of competition. For the last three years, a Warriors-Cavaliers championship was always inevitable. Sure, the Thunder gave Golden State a pretty good run for their money when they still had Durant, but we all knew who the final two teams were going to be. And last year, after the Warriors signed KD, that gap only seemed to widen between Golden State and everyone else, so much that people were calling for Commissioner Adam Silver to do something about the lack of parity in in the NBA. But something interesting tends to happen when greatness exists and you do nothing to level the playing field. Some people elevate their game and find a way to level the playing field. And what happened this offseason? The Thunder went out and got Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. Minnesota traded for Jimmy Butler. The Rockets went out and got Chris Paul. And the Celtics traded their precious assets to bring in Kyrie Irving. So on Sunday night, we ended up a game, ended up with a game with the following lineups. Andrew Wiggins, Taj Gibson, Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler, and Jeff Teague with Jamal Crawford coming off the bench versus Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, Steven Adams, Andre Robertson, and Russell Westbrook. And this is how the game ended. Westbrook pops out. Butler is on him. Anthony for three. Minnesota has no timeouts, so smart play here. Wiggins spots up there, deep three's got it. He scores it at the buzzer to give the Timberwolves the victory. You can thank the Golden State Warriors for bringing us that moment, because if they didn't exist, the Thunder and the Timberwolves wouldn't be what they are today. Now, this doesn't mean I don't think the Warriors are no longer the favorite to win the championship because they still are, but their competition in the West all got better this offseason. Boston's better in the East, and I think Cleveland got a pretty solid return in the Kyrie deal, so by the postseason, I think they'll be better. So even if the end result is the same, the product that the NBA is putting out this year has only gotten better, and that's been influenced entirely by the Warriors. I remember when I moved out to Los Angeles almost four years ago, Uber was really beginning to take off, and it actually made getting around LA somewhat convenient. It put all the taxi companies out of business, but Uber was still really expensive around rush hour or during the evenings on Fridays and Saturdays because of surge pricing when rides were in high demand. But what happened when Lyft began to emerge a year or two later? Uber had some real competition, and suddenly surge pricing was nowhere near as expensive. The Golden State Warriors are Uber, and it took a few years, but we're finally beginning to see some real competition because of it. Now on to baseball, talking today about my Boston Red Sox, and this is something I've wanted to talk about ever since the Red Sox firing of John Farrell became inevitable, which was the day they hired John Farrell. 
There is no higher standard in Major League Baseball than having to manage the Boston Red Sox organization. As a diehard fan that's watched the team remain relatively successful over the last 15 years or so, it's safe to say the margin for error in Boston is by far the smallest in the majors. There's no other organization in sports that fires their coach and general manager while their respective championship victories are still fresh on everyone's mind. The Red Sox have done that twice in the last six years. And over the weekend, it became official. Alex Cora will replace former World Series champion John Farrell as their next manager. Uh, He'll take over following the World Series as he's still the bench coach for the Astros. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with the Farrell firing, but I will say it felt far too inevitable after two consecutive seasons winning the American League East, uh, despite Boston's postseason performance both years. And I think the Cora hiring is a no-brainer, even though he has a tiny track record managing in the majors. Uh, Cora sounds like he's analytically driven, a former Red Sox, uh, he's been a good communicator in Houston, and he's bilingual. I don't know enough about his management style to really form a strong opinion, but enough people around the league seem to know for me to feel comfortable. I felt the same way about Steve Kerr in the NBA, wondering why so many teams wanted him based off of zero coaching experience, and then obviously he went to the Warriors and things began to make sense. So I think Core is the right guy, but my question is, Are the Red Sox any better off now than they would have been had they kept Terry Francona and Theo Epstein back in 2011? I don't think they are. Sure, they won a World Series, but what makes you think Tito and Theo couldn't have added one or two more in that time? They've certainly done pretty well in Cleveland and Chicago. And look, I know Epstein and Francona made plenty of mistakes in Boston. Carl Crawford, Julio Lugo, Edgar Renteria, beer and fried chicken in the clubhouse— but there's this tendency by Red Sox ownership, uh, John Warner, uh, John Henry and Tom Warner, to throw out the baby with the bathwater, and I think it's because they listen to the fans a little too much. And I'll be the first to admit, us Boston sports fans are spoiled. So it's understandable why we tend to have a short leash when our teams are struggling, especially in a sport like baseball where only five teams per league make the postseason. But it's up to ownership to know when fans are being unreasonable and to not make make personnel decisions based around that. And in the past six years, fans and ownership have chased out Terry Francona, Theo Epstein, Bobby Valentine, Ben Sherrington, and now John Farrell. You can certainly argue on the individual level that each of those firings made sense, but we're starting to see a trend in Boston and all of these firings have added up and made me think, what if we just kept Francona and Epstein? Again, Hiring Alex Chorus seems like the right decision. I just hope he knows what he's getting into because winning a World Series doesn't seem to be enough. Hopefully Henry and Warner have learned their lesson, but I wouldn't count on it. That's it for this episode of the Sideline Dissident. I'll be back again tomorrow. Until then, I bid you adieu.